we're back. We're back. We're back. For another edition of the Half Court Press. You thought we were gone? You thought it was dead? I thought they could get rid of us. They cannot? No. We're back. John Neotel with Chris Hetty. Uh, it's the off season, so we mm-hmm. kind of thought we'd take a little bit of a break from the pod. But a lot has happened over the last three mm-hmm. weeks, two, three weeks, last time we recorded. So we thought we'd jump back on and talk some hoops, yep. some Creighton and Nebraska hoops. Chris covers Nebraska. I cover Creighton. And uh, some roster sh- reshuffling. There's like secretly still a lot going on. It, you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's, 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 off season feels like the wrong t- Maybe non-season? Is what we should call it? Um, yeah, maybe maybe the um, the on season, yeah, for recruiting the on seasons, yeah, the on se- the and the um, not the annoying season, <laughs> the annoying. What well, I, I told my <laughs> wife this, I was like, be ready because at this point in the year, the routines all shuffled yeah. out, and and you just don't know when things are going to happen. Yeah, like, there's possible players who may leave, possible players who may get added. Um, coaching changes, like yeah. everything just... I think it was it, yesterday. It, there's no rhyme or reason to it or yeah. no rhythm that you can get into as as a beat writer. You're no. just sort of like, all right, when's the next story going to happen? Because it's coming soon. Yeah, I uh, let's see. In the last couple of weeks, I have... Um, I've written a story uh, on my phone using my wife's phone, which has notes on it, at a brewery. Um, I have... When was the other one? Um... Oh, I had gotten home from getting a drink with friends, and I was making dinner, dinner, and I had to call somebody right. uh, at like eight thirty or nine on a Saturday night, which was fun. Um, the other day, my wife was showing me uh we because we're you know whatever young and dumb, we look at houses we can't afford online or whatever, mm. and she was like, she, like I found this really cute house, and I was like, go away, I gotta like, and I felt really bad. Yeah. Um. So. You never know, man. It's like at that drop of a hat. And that's that's the yeah. On it's the silly season. The silly silly season. That's not yeah. bad. Silly season's when the coaches coaching carousel. Mm-hmm. But it's the transfer portal. But the transfer portal, portaling, portaling. Yeah, we're the portal season. The, the portal season. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Um, so we will get into that. We'll talk about Nebraska's roster where it stands right now. Yeah, who the Huskers are looking to add it, adding or not adding or whatever. Uh, same for Creighton because mm-hmm. that roster has been in flux too, and the Jays have been active in the transfer market, and with 2019 recruits. But let's start with sort of the main story in college basketball that's been going on for the last couple of weeks, and that's the bribery trial in New York City. Bribe season. It's also bribe court season. Court season, a different yeah. kind of court By season. By the way, alleged bribe season, because the defense <laughs> right. actually, I, know, I mean, there's some holes to it, but... You know, it's a compelling case yeah. laid out by the defense as to what really has gone on. And it's worth saying, too, that you went through how many pages of testimony the other day? Yeah, so like I, 500? Did, I did about 500. Um, and that was just two days of trial. Right. right? So that, like, there's a lot that's been said. But obviously Creighton's been implicated. Uh, the government has alleged that Preston Murphy received a $6,000 bribe um, in, in July of 2017. So the government says that Preston Murphy, Creighton's assistant coach, sat down with an aspiring agent, Christian Dawkins, uh, a financial advisor who, as it turns out, was working for the government the whole time, and an undercover FBI agent. And said, and the government said at this meeting, Preston Murphy took $6,000, and the idea was that Preston Murphy would work for all these people together who were trying to come up with a new agency. So Preston was going to work for them and steer players their way, and for his trouble, he'd get money. 
And uh, that was their scheme, according to the government, that they were going to pay college coaches so that the coaches would use their influence to get players to sign with their agency when they were done with college. Um, that, was, that was alleged, let's see, the indictment came out in March, uh, March 7th or March 8th. Preston Murphy was suspended the next day. And the assumption at that time was that we really wouldn't hear anything from Creighton in terms of the details on the case or its perspective on it or how it was going to handle any disciplinary actions or if it was going to indeed fire Preston until after this trial. And so we're recording this on Thursday, May 2nd. The trial's still going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess Christian Dawkins, his testimony's done, but we got closing arguments from both sides and then the jury trial. So it still may be a while before we hear Creighton's side of things. But what was, um, I don't know, is interesting the right word? I feel like that's overly used. But anyway, interesting. It's fascinating. Um, I mean, it's like fascinating. Potentially potentially sort of perception altering Mm -hmm. was the case laid out by the defense. So covered what the, the government said happened in that July 2017 meeting. Here's what the defense said happened in that July 2017 meeting. According to the defense, this is mostly based on testimony that Christian Dawkins gave um, when he took the, took the stand on Wednesday, but also um, the, the defense had kind of hinted at this theory or um, reality when it was cross-examining witnesses earlier in the trial. But essentially, this, the defense said that Preston Murphy and Christian Dawkins were boys. They grew up in the same city, so they knew each other. Christian Dawkins was starting this agency, and the government, um, which had planted an informant and had an FBI, undercover FBI agent there, those two individuals um, who were posing as investors were really adamant about Christian Dawkins bribing coaches. And Dawkins was like, I don't know why you want me to bribe coaches. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. The players, if you want to control players, you got to do it before they even get to college. So once they get to college, they've already decided who they're going to sign with. And that's just, we're wasting money if we do that. But according to Dawkins, the investors were like, no, you should really do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dawkins, his way, the way he explained it, the way to appease them by going through with their plan, but also getting money to him because in his mind, he just needs money to start his agency was to bring in some of his buddies, coaching buddies, and then they would um, kind of create this facade or kind of try to trick um, their investors to get money to Dawkins. Isn't that fraud? It feels fraudish. Yeah. Um, the I guess I guess you can't. But can I you? Think it's not fraud you defraud, if they're not already an investor. Isn't that? This is what's weird about it. Is so the investors, quote unquote, are actually working for the government. So I, I picture this idea of you got two investors walking into a meeting in a hotel room, who are trying to trick Christian Dawkins into bribing a coach. But then you have Preston Murphy. And Christian Dawkins walking into the same meeting, and they're trying to trick the investors. Right. So you got two con jobs going on at the same time. It's like a Scorsese movie. <laughs> yeah. Where was the meeting? It was at a hotel room? A hotel suite in oh, okay, Vegas. Okay. So this meeting goes down. Christian said, hey, I'm going to uh, enlist some of my coaches, and we're going to trick these investors. Um, and so according to Dawkins, he and Preston Murphy made up a Creighton player, Marcus Phillips, not real. And they sold... Marcus Phillips as a guy who could be at some point he could at some point sign with with the agency and that's why Preston Murphy would be worthy of giving him money 
feeding him $6,000. It wasn't a bribe, according to Dawkins. They had no, he had no intention to bribe Preston. It was just a way for him to get the money, uh, Dawkins, to get the money. So after they sold, quote-unquote, sold uh, Marcus Phillips or his potential, the, the, the opportunity to recruit him or use these, this money to lure him to their agency, Preston Murphy, Christian Dawkins left the room. According to Dawkins' lawyer, they laughed about it. Um, according to Dawkins' testimony, they went to the casino bathroom, uh, bathroom in the casino lobby, and Preston gave him the six grand. So that's far different than what the government alleged, which was bribery, whereas they're, now, they're saying that it was more just like a con job. Um, I don't know how you process that. Like, I don't either. One or the other. Neither show great judgment on behalf of Preston Murphy, but I will say that the uh, Dawkins version of the story, to my knowledge, doesn't involve NCAA rules being broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, uh, the idea of coaches taking bribes to facilitate meetings with agents or to push players toward agents, steer players toward agents, that's against NCAA rules. I feel like that's pretty clearly outlined in the rule book. What Dawkins has alleged, I don't know how that fits within the rule. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's okay. I don't know. It seems wrong, um, but I don't. I don't see how what, it's, it, it's, it could be a, a a way that that could be a route to where you could see. I mean, President Murphy's been suspended, and Creighton hasn't commented on his status. But um, a lot of schools, TCU fired Corey Barker from the jump. Um, and Book Richardson was fired from Arizona, and Tony Bland was fired from USC, and uh, Oklahoma State fired Lamont Evans, but Creighton did not fire Preston Murphy, perhaps because of this, mm-hmm. the story that Dawkins laid out. I mean, it's hard to know. I feel like we're still missing details, and we're still missing facts, and it's hard to know exactly what the truth is it feels like it's a combination of all of what i've just stated the government's case the defense's mm-hmm. case you mix it all together the truth's there somewhere yeah um bottom line it really does not it, I, like i said it doesn't reflect well on, on Preston murphy or creighton but perhaps there's a way to where um creighton can levy some disciplinary action on Preston murphy and decide to retain him i don't yeah. know or creighton just fires him and hires and him says, hey, we don't want to do this. And mm-hmm. you're but I think Creighton has done what its stance has been is that we're going to let this play out and we're going to see, we'll try to gather as much facts as we can and then make a determination after mm-hmm. that. So well, perhaps this could be resolved within a week or two. It could. Um, maybe it lingers. You know, maybe, maybe Creighton has already made up its mind and just is not going public with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's trying to save face a little bit for Preston Murphy and, and not um, – have his name dragged through the mud even further than it has been. Um, maybe the Jays already have a plan of what they want to do. It's hard to say, but publicly, um, the sort of message that has been sent was that Creighton is waiting. Yeah. Until it's till till as many uh, as much of the facts and the details are out or or, or mm. are revealed. What so. a wild story, man! Like it's just and and the thing that's interesting about this too is. And I th- we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but this is a subplot to the larger story of, like, this is just one chapter of this giant mess mm-hmm. where you've got Arizona coaches and LSU coaches and, like, you know, Louisville. saying Louisville coaches saying specific things, specific dollar amounts of what they're paying or trying to get paid or what 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 
call or excuse me what high school players are going for the going rate for a four-star you know guard and um what other kids are getting paid and how they're doing it and you know kids getting shipped money on in in shoes that are in shoe boxes which is like incredibly funny um i think it's safe to creighton isn't obviously implicated to the point that like sean miller is right you know well i mean i think that in, in but it's court, still not great right creighton there there are two potential rules violations that have been alleged yeah. one was the uh one thousand dollar offer to a, a recruit mm-hmm. that was set in court um i don't know if we'll ever get a resolution to that honestly because and i don't was, know if, that was the first trial wasn't mm-hmm, it? that was the first trial in october and i just don't know how you can prove that either that occurred or it didn't occur mm-hmm. you know unless like, they had a wiretap but it sounds like they don't i don't think so yeah uh you would think that they would have referenced it during the trial if yeah. indeed it sounds like it's going to be brian bowen senior's word versus creighton preston murphy's word and I, like at that point who do you believe i don't yeah. know um, and I don't think that that's enough. It's enough for the NCAA to open an investigation to see if that's actually true. But mm-hmm. how is the NCAA going to? It's going to be the same thing where it's one person's word to the other. Yeah. yeah. It, like it's hearsay. So how does the NCAA adjudicate based on that? I don't think you can. Unless there's more, inf- again, unless there's more info that we are not privy to at this moment that the FBI gathered via its wiretaps or video surveillance or what. But so there's that piece. And then the other one was the $6,000 alleged bribe. And the more we find out about that, you know, there's a, there's a route, there's a path, there's a uh, interpretation of that meeting where it wasn't a bribe, and so perhaps that means that the NCA doesn't have as much teeth to go after Creighton, um, or there's just not maybe maybe it's just there's just not it's not there. Maybe Dawkins' story is 100% true, and there's nothing I mean, you can't. Unless, I mean, the one thing that I looked at was there's an unethical conduct clause in the NCAA bylaws, and it feels really vague. Like, it, it almost covers a lot of different things that coaches can do. And so I feel like maybe you could twist it mm-hmm. into a way that says, you know, committing fraud in the way that they did, even though they're not charged with a crime. By the way, Preston wasn't charged with fraud. Um maybe that action is enough to say that's like the like the attempt to in a weird way or it's almost like attempting to defraud investors who weren't really investors investors in the first place like maybe that's how he gets off it's just i i'm i'm curious what happens because i'm curious if creighton I mean, they must think really highly of Preston for to deal with all of this. Because mm-hmm. I think it would have been really easy just to be like, yeah, I'm going to cut ties with this guy. Mm-hmm. But they clearly, I mean, he must be a hell of a coach or a hell of a recruiter or something because mm-hmm. they've hitched their wagon to him, you know? Like they've, as you just mentioned, there's a lot of schools that have just been like, nope, we're not going to mess with this. Right. But Creighton clearly isn't like, is like we're in Preston Murphy's corner, which is interesting. Right. Yeah, and it might say something about the people in charge. I think that I kind of got this sense of when this, when the trial first came out of, um, you know, Bruce Rasmussen, the athletic director at Creighton has been really plugged into college basketball. Mm-hmm. He's on the division one. So yeah. the division one men's basketball committee, um, part of the selection, the crew that selected yeah. the teams and picked sites for the, um, final four and stuff really he's plugged in. And I, the sense I always got from him was like, we're, we're only getting one, piece one side of the story the Mm -hmm. government has released all of its findings after two years investigating the corruption in the sport but what else does it have 
Um, and so I, I'm guessing that just was the approach that Creighton took once they found out that um, that Preston was involved or, yeah. or, or that it was implicated. So, it's it'll be inter- yeah, it'll, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know when Creighton knew. <laughs> what do they know? This, when do they know? Yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. Well, the thing is, is that we're in a weird part of this whole saga, too, where, you know, KU just signed a new multi-million dollar deal with Adidas after everything that happened with KU and Adidas. And Will Wade was reinstated as the head coach. Mm-hmm. And Arizona hasn't done anything with Sean Miller. And and Arizona's recruiting really well and Louisville's yeah. recruiting really well. I mean it's such a bizarre and I've you know, I've talked to coaches about it too and they're like, I we don't think anything's gonna happen. Yeah. There is and, sort of that sense of like hold hold everybody hold your horses here if you're if your schools and athletic departments yeah. because I mean you don't need to jump the gun. You know, I don't know if there was a, a scenario where Rick Pitino could have kept his job. Yeah. But I do see, I mean, in court, someone said. A uh, lot of people, a couple people have. They said that he had no idea what happened. And, again, yeah. that's not a good defense, especially yeah. within the way that the NCAA rules are, are, are set up, that, mm-hmm. that coaches are supposed to be accountable for what's going on in their program. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that's fireable, a fireable offense anyway. Isn't it, isn't it afraid, like, disorderly or – I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically there's a phrase of just like you don't have control over your program. Therefore, yeah. we, therefore you can lack of institutional control. That, that's is, it. Is yep. One of yeah, one of the uh, phrases that gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think a lot of schools are don't feel the need to jump the gun because there's no sort of I don't I don't know if it's there is a threat because the NCAA has spoken um, officials, President Mark Emmert, they they've They've taken some tough words. They've had some tough words to say, and mm-hmm. they've expressed publicly that they intend to investigate. Mm-hmm. But how do you? How do you yeah. investigate? There, this? I mean, there's so I, much. There's so much. Um, so much gray area. Even with the you know the the entire all the details that I laid out uh, involved with Preston Murphy and Christian Dawkins. Like, there's still so much gray there. And that took that, two years to get with wiretaps mm-hmm. in the FBI. Like, and the thing is, is like you know. I don't know. I, I mean, you saw it, but I don't know if other people about you know Seth Davis's tweet over the weekend that said, you know, the only thing they've gotten is Preston Murphy. Um, you know, how corrupt can college basketball really be? And he got ripped by a lot of college basketball reporters who were like, "Have you read any of the statements?" And so I disagree with that take. But I think his overall point, if it wasn't, then I, the, the overall point that at least makes some sense is like. You know, I think college basketball is corrupt, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to change. Even if they get, even if yeah. college basketball, quote unquote, gets caught, like I don't, I don't see drastic changes coming. I don't know if there's enough sort of momentum within the sport mm-hmm. to make those changes. I completely agree. I think that there's a lot of uh, people who are, whether they're coaches or administrators or they work in the NCAA office, who are hoping that, and they've kind of hinted at the fact that they believe this, that this is just an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. And they're hoping that nothing, that this trial, um, the FBI investigation, that it is contained within the, the realm of like LSU, Arizona, and that's it. Like that, that bomb goes off there, but it doesn't like the fallout doesn't extend to the rest of the sport because then they can just say, oh, it's just them. Like yeah. n- not everybody's doing it this way. And right. granted, not everyone is breaking the rules, but it seems based on the on this case and a lot of the facts have been laid out and the way that people have talked 
on wiretaps when they didn't know they were being recorded or listened to and the way that they talk about uh, the game and how it works behind the scenes. Like, it's hard to make an argument that this kind of stuff doesn't go on 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 a regular basis across the sport. And if, I mean, if I were a coach, especially if I were uh, following the rules the way they are laid out, I would be pretty outspoken about wanting to change it. I don't know if there is enough coaches who are doing that. Um, I don't know if there is even a workable fix. Right. Right. Where the, with how much money is involved, with what players perceive as their value is, um, how do you, how do you, the one, the one thing, how do you address that yeah, gap that, that the players feel they're, they're missing? The one thing that takes this from, you know, the one thing that would need to, to make this, like, make things change is a recruit who gets paid and then feels horrible about it. And or, then, or the recruit is like sort of a, he's, game in the system to blow it all up right right that's what i mean like so and he gets paid and then he rats on everybody exactly yeah. and like that's not gonna happen no. and the other thing is is like but yeah even, it, it's even. hard it's hard to show that this is systematic but what a lot of coaches have also said is they've kind of given you a look and they've you know they say this at big 10 media days or, or wherever they they'll, they'll give you a look and they'll be like College basketball has been college basketball for a while, mm-hmm. which to me says people are really good at cheating. And, and there's nothing we can do about it. Right. And a lot of times I hear coaches say, well, the NCAA really has got to do something. But it's right. like, the NCAA, you know the NCAA can't. they know they're not going to yeah, do they it. Can't. Yeah, yeah. They can't. They literally can't. They hate the NCAA more than right. anybody, and they know that they're not going to do it. And the other it. thing, yeah, it's just they don't have the resources. They can't wiretap phones. They yeah. can't subpoena people. And, and yeah. um, so – and the, and so and that's why I think th- I think in a way we're okay. We talk about systematic issues, like that's why when they're talking on the phone, they're not saying specific dollar amounts. They're not talking about specific recruits. They're talking about strong offers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And and why you know what we've seen the most interesting part of this whole thing that we've seen is all this out these allegations of all right. Here's how they're paying uh, these recruits is like through their own pocket. Because that's harder to track. It's not like this. I think whenever we saw shoe companies and Adidas and paying recruits or whatever, in my head, I think my initial thought was like, all right, Adidas is giving schools money to put into a fund to pay players. Like, make it that easy. But the schools are smarter than I am. And so they're just being like, all right, well, it's this. Like, there was that. I can't remember who it was. Maybe Book Richardson that was talking about how he was broke because he was paying so many. The Arizona assistant. Yeah. So, like, so if that's the case, then then that's so hard to track if it's going on all over the country. I mean, to me, what you have is you have a pool of players. It's not all NCAA players here, obviously. Yeah. But there's a pool of top-tier players who, when they get done with high school, realize, maybe probably way before they get done with high school, but they realize how much they are worth. Yeah. And they realize that in two or three years, they're going to be drafted, signing multi-million dollar deals, getting endorsements, their value even though they're not that they're 16 at that time they know what they are worth yeah. and they they realize that um there's a way for them to get at least a portion of what they're worth mm. now yeah and so they're willing to do that and there are other again not everybody does it, obviously obviously but then there are also uh third party and, and at the time, and, and apparently, according to Book Richardson's sort of comment, um, there are also coaches who are willing to sort of bend those rules right. 
or completely just break them right. to make sure that that player gets at least closer to what he thinks he's valued yeah. at. What what you know if um, that you know the players they get a lot they get scholarships they get food they get clothes they get a place to train they get exposure but um, the game is worth billions of dollars mm-hmm. and with a B yeah and they see that and yeah. they're like well I mean I got a scholarship that's great but um, but you know, if you're the, gonna the, the, if you're if you're talking about my coach making multi million dollar having you know three four million dollar contract per year. I'm feeling like I need some more. Well, and so it becomes yeah. easy for them to say yes to an agent or a shoe company rep mm-hmm. who um, funnels money. Or and and you know what else is interesting too about this case is that a lot of times the player doesn't even see it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know what's going on. It's yeah. the people around him right. who who understand his value yeah. and say. Well, he yeah, he should be getting more. Exactly. Let's working you know, on their behalf. Whether it's play, yeah. player, a player, or an AAU coach, yeah. or somebody who's involved managing his recruitment or whatever. Well, you know, it's think like, about it this way: Zion Williamson, right, broke his shoe, and Nike stocks went down, and a lot of the people lost a lot of money. That's how valuable college basketball players are. Where one misstep and the shoe goes crazy because that person is wearing it, and it's like stocks. Like things are just going terribly. You know what I mean? And, and, and so I think that yeah. you're right. I think it's a very good point that you're right, that these kids are starting to understand what they are actually worth. And I think that in a lot of ways, this is another conversation. I think and, that and not only while, do they understand, but everyone around them understands. Exactly. So there, there are people who are willing to give money and yeah. people who are willing to accept it. And even yeah. if the player is not fully in on the scheme, mm-hmm. um, the, those around him are, and so yeah. they, they are taking advantage of it. But I don't think that we've really had this conversation of like paying players in a while. Like I think the last time it was really, really hot was when jo- with Johnny Manziel, when he was you know would get in trouble for signing autographs, not getting paid for it, and kind of the value that he took to Texas A&M. And I feel like this is another problem of not playing players. Now th- I'm not coming up here saying pay players all the stuff. It's not that simple. But this is another one of those things where like. You know, if, when you don't pay players, people are gonna do these things that are illegal, and then this happens. You know what I mean? Then bribery and whatever. Like, there's a way around. It's just I think it's a mess. I think there is. Um, but as I say, I mean, players are valued at a certain level. Mm-hmm. The NCAA has assessed it and said this is what you are worth. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You're worth a scholarship, clothes, place to train, mm-hmm. whatever that value number equates to i don't know Mm -hmm. um whatever that value is well the market says they're actually worth a lot more yeah and so because within the ncaa framework they they can't reach that market value there's people outside the framework who are like we'll help you get there bud i wonder and i don't think that i don't know I, i feel like if the ncaa were to change its rules and make it so the player would reach that market value i kind of feel still feel like players would find a way well, you know there'd yeah, be some yeah. under the table deal i think that, i think that one of the main things you could do is just say kids can go right to the nba because then all the top recruits aren't getting pitched by all these schools but, quote unquote, yeah. for money. You, know, you know what i mean like i'm not saying that fixes everything but like if you take the top 10 guys right the top 10 to 15 guys in in each recruiting class and they're all getting recruited by all these top schools and let's say half of those top schools are offering money and they're offering all these bribes and all these things. If you take away those guys, then yeah, it just moves down. But like, 
I don't know. I feel like it would cut it down a little bit, don't you think? That's the NCAA's hope. I mean, that's what they've bet on, mm-hmm. right? That they um, are going to, they're asking the NBA to remove the one and done rule. Mm-hmm. And that's supposedly going to happen in 2021 or 2022. And they're hoping that that cleans it up. I don't think it's going to clean it because the system's already in place. True. That that's true. That's athletes true. have more value than what the NCAA thinks they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if we're talking about removing the top 10 to 15 tier, I mean, the kid at the center of this whole case is Brian Bowen. That's true. And he was like barely inside the top 25 in terms of recruiting rankings. Yeah. And he pulled in 100G. Yeah. Like Louisville, on behalf of Louisville, Adidas reps paid or promised to pay his family 100G. That's proven in, in the, these court documents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in via, via testimony. So, so maybe that doesn't, you're right, maybe it doesn't fit. I think, I think yeah. yeah, you take away a, a band aid. Yeah. On, a, yeah. on, a, on a leak. Yeah. I mean, the leak's still coming. Right. But you, you temporarily, make, you know, again, you, I feel like they've moved, they pulled some of the potential rules violators out, but mm-hmm. there's still the system there yeah. in place. To, anyway, we've talked uh, probably too much on, on that topic, but I enjoyed the combo. I enjoyed we knew, we knew we were going to. We knew we were getting into. Yeah. Um, let's go with Creighton first. Okay. Creighton's roster situation. Yeah. So the Jays have. Um, well, at this point, one scholarship open, and I would say it's quote-unquote reserved for their top target in 2019, which is Tristan Anaruna, and he's a 6'9", versatile guard, essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who's been recruited by Creighton for probably two years, and a four-star player, I think, by the end of the 2019 cycle, once the recruiting rankings are finalized, I think he'll be top 50, maybe top 75, um, because he kind of came on the radar late. He's originally from the Netherlands. So the Jays have really prioritized him over the course of his recruitment, that process, and now it's down to the end of it. Mm -hmm. He took an official visit to Miami, took an official visit to Creighton, took an official visit to Kansas, and he'll choose between those schools uh, probably pretty soon. And uh, that's kind of, he's kind of their prized piece within this 2019 cycle. They, they had Sharif Mitchell already signed the Omaha Burke product. He was already signed point guard, um, gritty defender. I think he's going to bring a lot of energy and just tenacity to the program. And, uh, and then they signed Jalen Windham, who was a formerly, he was committed to Georgia state and he reopened his recruitment once Georgia state lost his coach. And so Windham's a, Six five shooting guard from Indianapolis who can really fill it up. Um, obviously, Creighton likes to shoot threes, and so I think they fe- they felt like the coaches felt like, hey, we got a guy who, at the very least, is a good shooter who can space the floor for us. Maybe we can develop him into something more. And so they saw that and uh, and added him. So uh, they added a transfer as well, Antoine Jones from Memphis, who's a six six guy. Thickly built dude who um, can bring some toughness and tenacity, I think, uh, to the program. But he'll be sitting one year, and then he'll play three. So those were their ads. Um, keep an eye on Martin Crumple. Keep an eye on Davian Mintz, who both declare for the draft. They obviously have the option to return. They have to decide by March 29th. I think if you're just asking me, I would assume that Davion Mintz returns, and I would think just based on the options available that Martin Crumple would go. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to get an NBA look or not. 
he, it, he, but even if he doesn't, I think that he will have some options in Europe to progress that way sure. with his career. So, but if they, they both could come back, obviously Creighton has the spots for them to come back. If they go, um, then the Jays might, you might see them sort of re-engage some of their uh, efforts to bring in a grad transfer or a JUCO guy sure. to add some depth. Yeah. But as it stands right now, the Jays are set to return seven, their top seven scores from last year. And a lot of analysts are saying they're a top 25 team or just outside the top 25, top 30 team-ish. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of, uh, there's a potential for Buzz to build, but yeah. we got to see what the roster looks like. Yeah. It's about what he thought it would be last year, I think, in, in some ways. Yes. Yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. Where uh, do we stand? They don't. Today? They're not bringing back seven guys. I can tell you that much. <laughs> um. All right. So, where to begin? Um. Do we start? So they added a couple guys. Yeah. If you the missed it, if you, I was going to say if you missed it, Chris, um, chatted with Sam McEwen and Evan Bland mm -hmm. about specifically about three of the additions. Yeah. And kind of went into detail about what they are going to bring. Yeah. I'm curious to. Do you feel like Nebraska has assessed its needs? Eh, it kind of needed everything. How did right. How did Nebraska approach this right. these last couple of weeks? Did they just kind of try to grab the best players available? Or yeah. So I mean, so there's still we're still in the middle of this kind of assessment and transformation in a way. So as we are currently recording, Nebraska only has one scholarship left. Um. And that theoretically would be for a big guy. Would be for a transfer big. Transfer big. A sit like, out transfer like, big. Uh, maybe or grad. ideally, uh, immediately eligible. Okay. Transfer. So they're they're looking at there's a guy from Arizona Western that they like. Um, Jace Johnson is kind of the top target. He's the Utah transfer. He'd be immediately eligible. Um, seven footer is kind of your big guy. So. Right this second, if you want to live in this world, it's, you know, get this one big, and then you've got your team. Um, I think that there's going to be, um, actually, I know that there's going to be at least one departure from the current scholarship players for Nebraska. I, I expect Brady Hyman will not be with the team anymore. Um, that's based on a lot of things. I just, and I, I think that with Brady, um, you know, I think that he fit in some ways with Hoiberg's system, but in a lot of ways he just definitely didn't. Um, and you feel bad that Nebraska couldn't get a Nebraska kid. Um, but if that happens, so if Brady goes, uh, then that has that's two, two scholarships open. And if Isaiah Roby stays in the NBA draft, which right this second I currently think is going to happen, that's three scholarships. So in that way there's you have a little bit more room to breathe mm. now there's been some speculation that amir harris and thor are gonna leave but um amir told me yesterday that he has not told anybody that he plans to leave and thor hasn't responded to anything but he put out kind of a cryptic tweet today kind of hinting at that he would stay but we've not heard anything yet um and we're recording this at 3:20 on a Thursday, so maybe by the time they people listen to this, it, it could be the same. Yeah, but, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work under the assumption of what right. what I know right now. I'm not gonna kind of speculate on that. But I, I think in general, um, what they need is guys that are six eight and bigger. Like that's what they need. That's what they need now. That's what but they, they need now, and, even, and that's what they need now. And I think 
I, I and they're they've addressed. I mean, they've, they, so they've got point guards. They've got Cam Mack, who I think is your starter. Um, Cam Mack, Deshaun Burke, and Gervais Green can all play the one, two, or three. Or excuse me, the one or two. I mean, they can maybe play the three, but like they're fine at point guard. They're totally fine. Uh, they've got Hanif Cheatham, who is the grad transfer from Florida Gulf Coast. He could play a one if you needed to as well. And he's kind of your three. Um, you've got a million guys at the three and the four you can play. Um, the one thing they don't have is kind of that stretch five. And that's why I think they're going after a lot of guys that can stretch the floor or shooters, but are bigger guys. I mean, I think they, <laughs> I, I swear, like probably 70% of the guys that they're, that they have recruited in the last like month and a half, ever since Hoiberg got here, they're six eight, like exactly six seven, six eight, or six nine. Like mm-hmm. that's how big they are. Because um, I think that even if Roby comes back, they still need a couple of those guys. I mean, that's what Hoiberg's system is kind of based on: is you know a good slashing guard that gets everybody open, and then big shooters who can guard and kind of positionless basketball. Yeah. So in that way, they are addressing their needs where. They got Cam Mack, point guard's totally fine. You've got Deshaun Burke and Gervais Green. You've got some scores in the backcourt. Front court, you're a little smaller than maybe you need to be to be in the Big Ten, but they're going after some bigger guys. So they're kind of addressing things in a pretty fluid way, um, and they kind of have to do it pretty quickly. I mean, they don't have any transfer, excuse me, they don't have any visits this weekend, um, but they're still, I mean, I think they feel pretty good that they're going to be able to have a, a roster finalized um, before May 5th. So May 15th is whenever you can sign 2019. That's like the end of signing period, right. basically. It's the end of signing you period, but you can technically do it in the after, summer, too. Yeah, exactly. I think once, maybe it's once school starts or something like yeah, that, you can start yeah. signing. I don't know yeah. I mean, how it works. The, but. the football team got Maurice Washington, and he technically signed in February, but he didn't show up till fall camp. So, I mean, you can you can still bend the rules in some ways. It's it, college basketball. The rules don't matter. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so there, there I, but I do feel like before I go on vacation, which, which is, is it, which is like end of May, like May seventeenth, mm-hmm. I think that they'll have a full roster. And, and the one thing we might not know is is Roby. I think that with what they might do is they might have a kid that they that they really like and they have lined up. And if Roby does not come back, then they would have that kid come. So I think that'll be maybe the one question. But I think where they're at right now, I think if they get a couple of these guys. You, there's there's they've done a great job there's arguments to be made that they're starting probably better than it was last year so i mean they're they're getting it together i mean this is what this is why you pay mad Massey the second most in the big 10 and and why people like playing for fred Hoiberg. i wonder how much of this will be the norm mm-hmm. you know it's kind of been it's controlled chaos in the Nebraska basketball office, but from the outside, it's like, man, they were just bringing in a ton of guys. Right, and, right. Um, they obviously want to remain active on the transfer market. I mean, Creighton's active on the transfer market. Creighton always adds one, at least one transfer. The last couple of years, it's added two, a mm-hmm. grad and mm-hmm. a sit-out. Um, but I wonder how, like, where, where's the balance, you think, for when Nebraska is done with its class of new ads in 2020 or 2021 what's the ratio of transfers yeah. to high school prospects? it's a good question because they can't go after high school schoolers now they just got hired right in, they're behind anyway yeah. and and they'll be behind next class too i mean they're already ideally you're right at this time you are trying to get guys for next year already and they've got donovan williams um and they've got um dre davis who, who's a 2020 kid as well um, but 
That's true. So they kind of have some. So they kind of have, but at the same time, like in a way, I think I think there's a balance, right? So with Tim Miles, the idea was transfers early. And then get four-year guys, and then kind of get the transfers out, and you've got all four-year guys. With Hoiberg, it's all there's always going to be a stud transfer on the team. Like that's just the way that they are. They replaced Royce White with Nyang and and uh, you know and uh, DeAndre Kane, who was a grad transfer. Like they they do this. So I, I think right now it's very easy to recruit to Nebraska. Now that's not saying that they're not doing that. Abdul Massey and, and Armand Gates and, and Doc Sather's not doing a great job, but when you are recruiting transfers, the one thing that they want is playing time and opportunity. And the one thing that they currently have is unlimited playing time <laughs> and unlimited opportunity. Like the reason why they got Cam Mack is because they went to Cam Mack and they said, "Hey, you can be our point guard. You can start. You can probably lead us in scoring." And Cam's yeah. like, "Cool. I'm not going to get that." I mean, he's not. He would not have gotten that offer anywhere else in the country. And so I think with, you know, I think it's Matesh. I've not talked to him yet, um, but I think that's how you pronounce this. Kavas, who's from Sylvania, from the same town as Martin Krampel, actually. Close. Or close. They're like, they're like 10 miles away, right? Yeah, I think Martin's from like a smaller town outside the capital. Okay. And whereas Kavas, Kavas yeah. is from the, 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 capital. the capital. Yeah. Uh, but, for, okay, so with him, you know, I think. But he's a shooter. And, exactly. Yeah. But, but I think what they said was, hey, we want you to come shoot as many threes as you want. Like you, we are going to probably like, I think in a perfect world, they would want him to come off the bench and be like, play 20, 25 minutes a game, you know, kind of be an addition to what they want to do. But he might be one of the set people. Like he might be the starter, like a four and, and you get him on, you get, and he shot 45% from three last year. Like that's ridiculous. And they get him because, Hey, we can, you could start next year if you want to. And so I think that they're not going to go after so many transfers to the point where it's like you know, they're going to start like four of them next year, possibly. Um, I don't think it'll be, it'll be that every single year. Um, because as we were talking before too, like Monte Morris was one of, I mean, he's one of the best players in Iowa state history that, that whoever recruited from high school. And, and that was the way that their direction they were going in where you've got these four, four year guys that fit their system. And then you add some accent pieces of the transfers and then you go from there. Um, I think one of the problems with, with Tim Miles' kind of plan was they started just relying on transfers far too much, whereas if one went away, you were kind of, I mean, with Andrew White leaves, then you go 12 and 19. Yeah. I don't think that they want to do it to that point where if one transfer leaves, they're, they're done. They want to have four-year guys. So, I mean, I think every April we're going to be annoyed because they're going to be going, you know, Saturdays. They, they must have one hell of a recruiting pitch on Saturday afternoons. Because all of their commits so far, besides one, uh, they've committed on Saturday afternoon, you know, or Saturday evening after whatever they did on Saturday, and that's going to be, I think, a thing. And and uh, I think that that's going to be a thing for. It's almost like with spring games and football. Yeah. Like after the spring game, a lot of people commit. It's going to be like that, I think, in the springs of of Hoiberg, uh, recruiting because they'll. They'll be active. Yeah, they're, they're always going to be doing this. Right. Just not to quite the like extreme extent they're currently doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I think that I think that they're going to put together a pretty good roster. I'm very, very, very curious what they'll do um, with a lot of different guys, and, and if they, especially if they stay. Um, but it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I know Fred Horberg has talked about the very first year that he was at Iowa State 
and how much fun he had coaching that team because they kind of fit together, but not really. Almost like the last, you know, two or three weeks of Tim Miles last season. Um, I think they'll have some fun pieces. Like, I think that they're, they have this, the team that they currently already have has more, has a bigger ego. They have more of an edge. Like, they're just, they're grittier. Um, than last year. Yeah, by a like far that, margin. You know, it's hard to say because junior college, you don't know how they're going to translate and, and all that kind of stuff. But there seems to be uh, this flair and bravado from some of these players that they've added. Absolutely. That the, the last year's team didn't have. Yeah. While that, that team had more experience and, um, you know, if everybody was on, it was scary. Yeah. Perhaps that when everybody's on, you know, that's that team could handle whatever roster Nebraska is going to try to put together for next year, but that team wasn't always on. Exactly. And whereas yeah. this team maybe has the uh, the personality to reach its potential yeah. more consistently. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Again, I mean, there's you, so you much never unknown. Really know. With, yeah. with, when you're mixing the matching and then also you're talking about guys transitioning to a new environment and a new coach. Yeah. And playing with new teammates. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and this, it's going to be you can have all the talent in the world, but if you've got five guys on the floor and they're all really good, but they don't know where each other is and it's a new system, like it's kind of confusing, then like it's not going to look great. I mean, look, like Nebraska's spring game last year for football in a lot of ways, you know, you take Adrian Martinez out. It was kind of messy. Like, you know, it looked okay, but it's just still, so you had, you had talent, but it was kind of messy. And I, so you've run that risk. Um, but like, Cam Mack's first highlight on his on his uh, Salt Lake tape is him dunking over a guy, and I'm pretty sure the guy like quit basketball afterwards because it's like disgusting. And you and you know Hanif Cheatham, you know you ask him what do you want to bring to to Nebraska, and he's like I want to be the leader, I want to be the guy. Yeah. And 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 that's a lot for somebody to say. It's going to be his third different school. Like yeah, he hasn't for, played in like, hasn't, hasn't, basically hasn't played in two years. Been on campus and like for like a day. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to be the emotional leader of this program. And so you've got these guys who are so sure of themselves and so confident that it's just going to be such an interesting, different mix. Um, so we'll see. And I think that, you know, we're talking on May 2nd and I think even in the next week, there'll be, changes and so you, it's, it's hard to sit i mean there's you can't really set expectations yeah and, and, and honestly i don't think that I, you should it's not no and I, I don't think no I, I mean it's not until like it's, like september can we start talking about that even even then i mean it's funny because like a lot of these you'll see like a preseason i'm an ap voter we, we have to come up with a preseason top 25 poll and so many teams maybe they don't go to the extent uh, as nebraska has been has had to this year with in terms of roster turnover but so many teams have a uh, uh, almost an entirely new starting lineup or yeah. uh, a new, certainly a new influx of players. And, but a lot of those teams are actually still going to be good because they added good players. You just don't know how it's going to all oh, incorporate yeah. and mix together. Think, think and about, I, I hate making judgments on teams yeah. or setting expectations until I actually see yeah. the product. Yeah. And so, well, think about like Duke, North Carolina, KU, like Indiana in some ways, where every year you have to, like, you have to take time out of your day to like watch one of their games because you don't because none of nobody returns from mm-hmm. the year before like you get the rarities for like virginia and villanova sometimes where they've got the four-year guys but like everybody changes completely and you'd so never know the like kansas was a completely different team and you could argue that it didn't work exactly this last year absolutely um i think a lot of people are arguing that the way duke is going about it in terms of just recruiting like the three or four best freshmen every year is not working mm-hmm. not winning national championships going with that model um 
But like Texas Tech, people didn't see Texas Tech I mean, even preseason. Te- did you have them in your top 25? I did 25? not have them ranked, but right. it, because they lost their best player in uh, like top four guys, I think. Yeah, a, a Three, three of the top three or six four or five. I don't yeah. remember. But Culver was back, but you just didn't know what he was going to be. Right. And then they're adding a grad transfer from St. John's and right. South Dakota. And you're yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Like, maybe. I mean, Chris Beard's a good coach, but is he that good of a coach? Right. It's, it, uh, it, it you kind of want to get eyes on the team before yeah. you have a good, uh, yeah. before you try to make statements about how good they can be. But I will say that with, with Creighton, I think you have a better idea of what they're going to bring. Because they bring back Because you've seen these guys play. Yeah. And they are going to get better. How much better? That's the question. That'll yeah. be sort of the uh, the storyline heading into next year is how much better can this team get. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting times. I mean, it's, it's uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that once it's all said and done, and Nebraska has a full roster, and they start practices, and they start all this stuff. That's when I think it's time to sit down and say, "All right, what are they going to do here? What are they going to do here?" And the thing is, is like Nebraska basketball fans are so excited, and they're like so intrigued by Hoiberg and the offense and all this is that I've already seen a lot of people being like, "Here's who I think the starting five is going to be," and I'm like, "Well, we don't know if these guys are even going to be on the team, or we don't even know <laughs> yeah. if they're going to get." I mean, they could go out and they get L- LJ Figueroa, and they could get him like immediately eligible for some reason. He'd be a starter. Yeah, like no you doubt. don't, you never Dude, know. I love LJ. I know man. you do. I love Figueroa, and he's not said if he's going back to St. John's, and like I think that, and like, anytime you've got Matt Abdomassi recruiting a guy that he's already recruited, like you, you can always keep yeah. the door open. So the, LJ you never huge. know. You maybe Roby comes back and that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you never really know. We need you know what I was thinking we should have a podcast or one of our podcasts this summer when we're kind of not doing anything is to dissect Hoiberg's offense and compare it to what Greg McDermott's running at Creighton because yeah. they basically run similar like somebody, similar theme. Somebody pitched me a story of a collaborative story of doing that. Yeah. Because it's cuz I also it, like they both want to run, they want to shoot threes, they want to space the floor. Yeah. Yeah. But there's some different nuances for both. No doubt. Yeah. There Curious might. What, what do you think the over under for the Nebraska Creighton game is going to be? Maybe like <laughs> <Yeah>. 250? <laughs> yeah. It's going to be it, great. It'll be high. We should set like over and under for like the percentage of field goal attempts that are threes <laughs> or points scored by threes or um, whatever. Kim the the amount one. of times that the shot clock goes under 10. You know, like. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And, and as Fred. Hoiberg sort of evolves his offense. You know, like next year will be yeah. a transition year yeah. than the next year. Yeah. I feel like he'll be closer to what he wants to be. And then you'll have this Creighton team that spent last year kind of learning mm-hmm. how to run. I mean, I feel like the Jays didn't play with the pace that they usually do or they would like to at times, um, part, partly because they had injuries, but also I think the guys were still learning how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll have Creighton more experienced, next year the year after and I don't, I don't know i'm very intrigued to see um just how much how how similar yeah or different these two offenses are because like when you look at the statistical numbers have you so it'll be I, very similar so not to put you on the spot but do you know what the fastest creightons like adjusted tempo for ken palm that creightons had well here's like, one of the problems for creighton is that and I, i'm also curious to see how Fred Horberg's teams deal with this, especially in the Big Ten where teams go slower. Yeah. Is you can't control the defense your opponent's pace. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of teams over the past three years since I've been covering Creighton, they've just walked the ball up and yeah. been that very deliberate. Your, yeah. And that brings your tempo down. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't know what off the top of my head, I don't know where they rank. Fred's um, Fred's fastest team was second. They probably weren't that high. I would I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd imagine they're fast. Which which probably which to to your point. 
is probably because the Big 12 would go fast, too. They were like, they're like, okay, you want to play? Let's yeah, play. Yeah, but I think Huggins is like, cool, I'm going to see if we can, I can't just, like, kill all my players. <laughs> so they're all going to be tired at the end yeah. of this. I know, so I don't know. But, like, that's how fast they want to go. Right. You know? So many times since I've covered this team, this Creighton team, teams have been slower than they normally, like, they go slower than normal mm-hmm. just to take the air out of the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it especially happens at Big East play. And it's one of the reasons why some fans are critical of Creighton's style mm-hmm. is because it's too easy to pull Creighton out of its comfort zone. Yeah. Like, Creighton wants to run and wants to push tempo, but it's all defenses have to do is just hold the ball. Yeah. And then they suddenly the game's flow totally changes. Yeah. And that happens more often as the year goes on yeah. than at the start of the year. So it'll be well, it'll be interesting to see how Fred adjusts to that too cuz yeah. I imagine teams are going to opponents are going to try to do the same thing. I mean, I was watching the Iowa State Baylor game from the first time the Fred won the Big 10 title, Big 12 conference title, sorry. Um tournament title. And uh Baylor just was like zone total zone sleepy to making them and just forced iowa to shoot a ton of threes and they didn't make them i mean i i would say didn't have winning but i don't know if you want to get nitty-gritty in my opinion the way you force people to go fast you just throw on a full court press but you need like nine you need to go like nine or ten deep to do that <laughs> right and you can't do that literally all year but that's 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 how vcu would speed everybody right, exactly. up you know yeah so it looks like creighton's fastest tempo wise was 2017, two years ago with Maurice Watson at the point for most of the year until he got hurt. They were 45th. Hmm. I mean, it's still fast. I mean, it's not, that's not enough. Yeah, but it's hard to say. So they were ninth in average possession length. So sure, their possessions, yeah. they were ninth in their opponent, 335th. Really? At, at eight, 18.3 wow. average possession length. So again, those opponents were very cognizant. 350, of 335. 335. Yeah, okay. opponents just like. That's slowed, like almost last, yeah. Right. They slowed it down to an yeah. outrageous point at, or stretch at some point. There's also worth a story to, um, or a discussion at least, about the trend of college basketball right now where teams in the Final Four the last two years have been way slow. Slow teams are winning, mm-hmm. but Creighton and Nebraska are going the opposite way. You right. know, that's worth a discussion point to, I think. Yeah, I wonder. My initial reaction to that is just, is it year to years or not? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've just felt it's it's all about efficiency, and yeah. one of the reasons why Virginia can never get over the hump is because offense wasn't efficient enough. Yeah, like they could hold teams de- down defensively, they just couldn't score an off. They couldn't get enough easy buckets, high percentage looks to put pressure on teams or to make big time plays at the end of games, especially right. in the tournament. Yeah, when it mattered. And, and it's like all they to did. me that's yeah that's all they did in that turn. that's yeah. what you need you oh, just yeah. you, you just gotta I mean sometimes you'll get a good shot and it won't go in but if you get enough really good shots most they will go in if you're right. good enough on the other end of the floor like you're gonna win so I, I feel like efficiency is what matters I don't know if pace matters as much but yeah it might be maybe the theory is is that it's easier to be efficient if you go slow yeah the opposite the opposite I thought you were gonna say the opposite though which which is it's easier to become efficient I mean it, it's not efficiency in terms of like, but if you have enough possessions, eventually you're going to be as efficient. Like if you are fast and efficient, then there's you. There's no way anyone can beat you. That's what Villanova was. They would go fast and they were crazy. Efficient. Yeah, they didn't go crazy fast. They didn't though. go crazy fast though. You're right. If they but, had an open shot, they'd take it. They were they were very opportunistic in transition. They didn't yeah. necessarily look to push right. it in the way that like Fred Hoiberg wants to. Right. But if you gave them a transition opportunity, they yeah. exploited it. And most of the time, you know got a layup or three yeah. or something so yeah it's a good point though but because like if you go fast and you're efficient you're basically unbeatable 
Yeah. So that's the theory is like that we you'd I'd rather you know people would rather try and go for that than like okay well let's just be boring. Right. Yeah. I think the thought is. I'd be curious to kind of talk to Fred Hoiberg and Greg McDermott about this, but I think the faster you go, like the earlier you shoot in the shot clock, the better chance you have a, at a higher percentage shot. Like the longer you run your possession. Yeah. Now, now some teams kind of debunk this because yeah. Virginia was a team that like just were, they were grinding you out with their offensive possessions. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, how'd they get that layup? Right, right, right. Or why is that dude wide open for right. three? I yeah. mean, they just were running the same thing over and over, and then all of a sudden there it is. So, yeah. you know, this theory may not be totally accurate, but I think if you look at, um, I think I would imagine that what Creighton and Nebraska are trying to do is create open looks early in the shot clock because that is a good time to get an open three, an yeah. open in rhythm three in transition. Keep or catch them sleeping really quickly. Go to the bucket. Yeah, yeah. And so the more shots you take, at the in the first ten seconds, like the there's a higher percentage of those that are good shots versus the final twenty seconds, yeah. which you don't know what you're gonna get. That'd be a that'd be man. I would love to get Fred and Greg in the same room. I'm not a talk shop. I mean, they wouldn't, but no, they can't for the sake of the rivalry. We need them yeah. to like go at odds. That's true. Yeah, I know. We need um, <laughs> we need coaches' boxes and rules and double technicals and yeah. stuff like that and uh, desperation. That's right. Yeah. All right. Fun combo, Chris. Uh, we'll be back, I would imagine, some point in the next few weeks. Yeah. To maybe before you hit, head on your vacation. Huh? Yeah. How about that? So. We'll do yeah. a quick pod uh, or a long pod. I don't know. Yeah. We'll just see. We're what, getting longer with these. We'll just see what the conversation It's kind of hard. I haven't talked to you in like three yeah, weeks. Yeah, I know. So. Yeah, I know. It gets <laughs> difficult. A lot of stuff <laughs> to cover. Uh, but yeah, we'll have um, another update on college basketball as it relates to the local teams at some point soon. So thanks for listening. We'll be back soon.